Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. In this episode, I chat with Debbie Tannenbaum, an educator with over 20 years of experience who works each and every day to transform learning using technology. During her time in education, she has served both as a classroom teacher in various grades and as an elementary technology coach. Outside of the classroom, Debbie promotes using technology tools to amplify student learning in her work as an educational technology consultant, author, blogger, and speaker. You can connect with Debbie at tannenbaumtech.com. During our conversation, I asked the question that I'm sure most tech experts hate. What tech tool would you recommend for... As Debbie pointed out, this is not the ideal way to approach integrating technology into your classroom. Instead, we should focus on the objective and the needs of our students and find a tool that matches. We also explore the various ways that technology can be used to propel students forward. If you simply replace your traditional approaches with updated tech, you're not necessarily going to see the gains that you anticipated. Debbie encourages teachers to instead think outside the box and embrace the opportunities that were not previously available as opposed to simple upgrades. You want to hear more from this tech guru? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Counter Narrative Podcast. I am very excited for today's show. We, we've already been chatting. Uh, we've been probably pre-talking for about 10 minutes here, uh, but super excited because I have a fellow, I think we were calling ourselves B-list edu celebrities, <laughs> uh, just, just really connecting and really the conversation. We're both very excited. We are going to be hanging out in New Orleans. Uh, down at the end of January for the ISTE conference uh, June. And, and just connecting. Uh, June. What did I say? Oh, you said January. January. In June. In June. See, I'm, I'm just so riled up uh, and really looking forward to uh, connecting with so many other people out there. So uh, if you're watching this, welcome. If you're listening, thank you for tuning in. But today we have Debbie Tannenbaum. So Debbie, Debbie, how are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited about this conversation tonight. I'm excited to have you here. You know, like we talked about, we've spent a lot of time in the same spaces together, but this is probably one of my favorite types of shows because I get to know you. I get to know the person behind the tweets, right behind the like the little blurb, whether it's, you know, on a Zoom call or, uh, you know, those Twitter spaces. So very nice to connect. So before right, I feel like I have a slight advantage. So before we jump in, why don't you tell our viewers, listeners, um, a little bit about who you are, what you do, what, you know, how you got into education. And my favorite question, something that maybe not a lot of people know about you. So I've wanted to be an educator probably 
from for as long as I can remember. I was the person who like had her dolls set up and I made my sister and my cousins all sit in front of the Raggedy Ann chalkboard. I'm one of those people. Um, but one thing some people might not know is I originally wanted to be an elementary school French teacher. Mm. I have a minor in French. I can't say I speak French now, but <laughs> that was the original intent. I did an internship in um, French immersion during college. Um, so that was the original plan. Um, it didn't end up happening. I decided it was really hard to discipline kids in French. Um, and the classroom management piece was a little bit of a struggle. And in my first year of teaching, I discovered the magic of technology. And okay. to me, technology in a lot of ways is a language. And so it's funny because like I think about, you know, in college, like, ooh, I got a computer. Like that was a big deal. Like I would have never have thought that technology would have become such a big part of my life because it wasn't growing up. I was one of those kids who had the typewriter with the little floppy disk. You yes, know, yes. <laughs> um, but like when I saw what it could do for my students, it really made me look at things differently. And back then I was using Scholastic and we were doing projects in it. And I was like, this is reaching my students in a way that I could have never imagined. And so I decided to go get my master's in technology. And once I had done that, I just continued to stay really involved in technology. I joke that I have like two parts of my career. I call I have my pre-2017, my pre-Twitter years. Okay, okay. And then post-2017, the Twitter years. And so pre-Twitter years, I always was doing things with technology. I really wasn't that into social media. I was, I always, but I've always been a lifelong learner and trying to learn new things. And, you know, for a while I did serve in my previous school district as a technology teacher part-time where I would work with teachers and kind of help them integrate technology into instruction. And, you know, I got a chance in, in that, in that position to work, you know, K, K to five in um, Maryland. And it was a great opportunity. And then a few around, I guess, 2015, I met my husband and he convinced me to migrate down to Virginia. I originally lived in Maryland when I started teaching and the commute kind of became too much for me. And I decided to switch to Virginia and. Wait, so were you, were you commuting from Virginia to Maryland? Yes. <laughs> I, I was like going to joke. On the I, was like, Wait, I think she's serious. Yeah, I was. I did wow. it for three years Okay. until I decided I couldn't do it anymore. And in, when I joined this, my district that I'm in now, my principal was like, I want everybody to join Twitter. And I thought she was crazy. And that's 2017. And I joined it reluctantly. And as I joined Twitter, I discovered the world of podcasting. I discovered all these educational books that weren't boring. Like it was like this awakening. Like I, it was like all of a sudden there, there had been this world that I just didn't know about. And you know, I started doing more. And when I was at that school, the technology specialist at the school is like, you should apply to be a school-based technology specialist. That's the title I have, even though it's not the greatest title. And I was like, are you sure? Like, it's my first year in the district. She's like, yeah, you should. And I applied and I made the pool. And um, I'm in the midst of my fourth year doing it. It's There's things I love about it because I get a chance to work with students. I get a chance to work with teachers. Um, and then there's things I don't love about it, like the fact that when your name is a technology specialist, people think you can fix copiers. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean you can unjam this? But I mean, I've just been really blessed that I've gotten a chance to learn so much. When I first became a technology specialist, 
like working with kindergartners was super challenging for me. It's been something I'm really passionate about now. Um, but through the process, I've gotten the chance to do not one, but two Twitter accounts. I got hacked my first Twitter account. Um, but it turned out to be good. I was Mrs. Tannen V and now I'm Tannenbaum Tech, and that's a much better handle. Um, but through that, I started blogging in 2019. And blogging kind of changed my world in a way, too, because I started putting my voice out there, sharing things, being vulnerable. I really feel like I wasn't really vulnerable before then. And I met my publisher on Twitter. It sounds like kind of like a dating thing, but not. <laughs> um, I met Darren Pepperd on um, Twitter and he was, I said, I think I have something, but I'm not sure. And he and I met and I sent him my draft and he all of a sudden he's like, oh, this is really good. We need to get this out here. And I was like, okay. And imposter syndrome was really, really, really strong. And, you know, last May on my birthday, ta-da! There it is. And I mean, not many people can say their book was published on their birthday. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, and since then, I've been really lucky to be able to contribute to a couple other books. I have one coming out in June. I I think you also did Rochelle Dene Post book, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I contributed to that one. And so I've been really lucky to do that. But I've also gotten the opportunity to go to some wonderful conferences and share things I'm passionate about and learn with others and I just, I just love all of it. Like I love helping teachers to really find ways. And I, especially after the pandemic, people use technology for everything. Then people were like, we can't use technology. Technology is bad. And I love helping teachers find that space in the middle where they're using technology in really meaningful ways to be really intentional with their students and for them to see it's not something extra but it's instead of something that you were doing before and it amplifies the learning for them. So I really love that, whether I'm doing that with my teachers at my school, whether I'm doing that with the students when I'm part of the master schedule, or whether I do that when I'm sharing with other educators, you know, when I'm presenting. To me, it's just so important that educators understand that because back in whatever, 2000, whenever 2000 and might've been 2000 that year, when I, you know, started discover technology, I discovered how it engaged my students, how it gave them opportunities they wouldn't have. I remember they did a chat with Colin Powell, and it was pretty much them typing questions in and it being moderated. But for them, that was like the coolest thing ever. And okay. so I want to give my students those opportunities now as well. So Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, you know, there, there were a few things as you were talking. So thank you for sharing that. That is an amazing story. Um, you know, I, I kind of was laughing to myself, you know, when you mentioned about like, like, uh, what is it yelling at students, right? Or, or getting on them in French, right? Disciplining, um, yeah. you know, yeah, I could imagine that, right? My grandmother spoke German. And so that's when she was upset, she would yell at us in German. And so that, <laughs> that's very scary. <laughs> I just, it just, I really struggled with the classroom management piece. Like I could do the academic language. And I know that a lot of times we talk with our English language learners about how the academic language comes last. For me, it was the opposite when I was trying to teach I see. students. I had the academic language. I just didn't have the social, you know, language. I didn't have, you know, that type of stuff. And you know, for a while, when I first started teaching, I would do a little bit of foreign language, you know, a little bit of lessons with the kids. Um, but like I said, I really view technology as a language. Right. No, absolutely. And, and so you, um, so before Twitter space, right, you were in the MySpace. Um, so 
I, I actually of... didn't do MySpace because I was I was so technology um, social media phobic. I think I waited a long time You're to like, even get no, Facebook. No, no. I, I told one of my students, they asked me, Mr. Williams, do you have any friends? I said, I only have one. It's Tom. And they're like, what? And my teacher was like, they don't, they're not going to get it. No, they don't, <laughs> they don't get it. Uh, but so I, I love this journey that you're on. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I dabble in technology and it's an, you know, it's an interesting thing. You know, when I first started, I was like, cause I'm, I'm a total Google guy. Um, you know, so I made sure our school is Google. We have Chromebooks, right? I mean, because it's mm-hmm. a powerful platform. But it's interesting, I think, even like you were saying, when when you're not in that space for a while, you know, I popped back in and my confidence was like up here. And then I was like, oh, there's all these new things happening. Right. And yeah. so when you're not immersed in those areas, very, very quickly, things change. And so I'm very fortunate to have people like you who are who are on top of that and who can share that with us and make sure that we are staying current. So I'm, I'm curious. Right. We talked a lot about technology. We mentioned like the pandemic, the role that technology has played in education and how that has changed a little bit. In your experience in education, what role, and and maybe it's not necessarily technology, but as we discuss kind of changing that narrative, right? I know a lot of times technology might be that that evil thing or that thing that has no place in classrooms. So I'm curious in your experience, what, how have you been challenging you know, any of the narratives, whether it's around technology, that seems to be your area, um, mm-hmm. or, or something else that you may want to talk about? Well, the thing that I find that's really interesting is that people look at technology, and when they think about using technology with instruction, their first perception is kids are sitting in front of computers all day long, and it's more of a drilling kill. And that's a really big misconception. And it's one of the things that I really start with all my teachers with is that when we're using technology, we never start with the technology first. It seems like, you know, it would be common sense, but so many teachers will come up to me and they'll be like, well, I heard you did Canva in so-and-so's class. Can we do Canva? And I'll be like, well, why are we using it? And so I think that it's super important that teacher, that teachers, parents, the community, because even in some of the things I've done with the community, you know, parents and even some teachers don't understand how technology can really benefit our students learning. And it's really, really important to find out what that hook, you know, and whenever I'm working with teachers, I'm like, okay, the let we do, I do a lot of co-teaching in my school. Okay. What lesson are we going to be focusing on? And then I'm like, okay, here are some options that technology could help you. And then we talk about each of them and then we go and do it. And either I model it or we teach it together but it's really, really important because some of the tools that I use with teachers now didn't exist 10 years ago. Or if it did, it was very different. You know, a great example of that is Desmos. Desmos has been, is, is a program that has grown by leaps and bounds. It's, you know, I remember when everyone's like, oh, Desmos is just a calculator. Well, Desmos has so much power in it. And so I do use something like Desmos a lot with my teachers while we're doing math because it allows our students to have interaction with each other in a different way. And it allows them to be anonymized so that they're mathematicians. And some of my students are like, yeah, I would have never worked with that person, you know, if I had known who it was. But it's great for them to be able to really interact with math in a different way. And so things like that are important. Things like Smithsonian Learning Lab, Kids can go to a museum sitting at a computer and interact with exhibits. Well, that's not something that was possible 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. probably. Mm -hmm. 
So my students are able to, you know, zoom in, look at things, experiment with things, and really look at artifacts from a collection of museums. And so when I'm working with my teachers, I really, really, really try to focus on the way that technology is going to amplify the learning. And I think that now they're getting the idea because no longer are people asking me, so can we do this program? Now they're saying, I want to have my students do this. What do you think would be the best tool to help them do that? And that's a very different conversation. And I really push a lot of creation with my teachers over consumption. I'm a huge proponent of Project Zero and thinking routines. So I'm really trying to push that critical critical thinking, that communication, the four C's, really trying to push that and using technology as a way to amplify that. And so it's really, I feel like, led to, you know, a different way of looking at things. And there are some teachers who are much further along in that journey than others. There are some that, you know, I'll say to them, let's use Gizmos and explore, you know, um, which is explore learning. And it's, you know, it's essentially a worksheet with a simulation. And that's where they're at. You know, and you know, you know, as a as a school leader, we have to you know, start where our teachers are at. And then for some of my teachers, they're like, I'm willing to try anything. I trust you. That relationship building is so key. And, you know, every once I tried a, a Desmos activity with one of my second grade teachers and Desmos decided not to work that day. <laughs> of course. But of the course. kids were great. They, they were great sports. And I was like, you guys are trying the first second grade class I've ever done Desmos with or whatever. And. So I like the fact that I'm starting to see more risk taking because I know it's hard. It's first of all, you know, we went through using technology for everything. And then when we couldn't use technology, I started seeing things like people making Pear Deck packets. Well, that's not a good, you can never simulate Pear Deck with a packet. So it's really okay. If we're being intentional with how we're using the technology, let's find the best tool and let's not learn 10,000 tools. Let's learn a couple of tools that we can use for lots of different things and really provide our students with a different experience. And so I real a lot of times people will be like, well, the tech coach in my old school didn't do all these things. Well, to me, that's a really important part of what I do. And then I get to share all the wonderful things that my teachers and my students do when I get to share elsewhere. And, you know, a lot of it came from struggle. Sometimes the best lessons come from, oh, I tried this and it really didn't work. Um, but it's really been wonderful to see that progression and see that even now one of my, when my new teachers came in this year, well, that was part of what I do with them and they can, and they went into that pretty easily. And like I said, everybody's at a different place, but knowing that there's that opportunity to learn in a new way. And I really do believe professional development, if it isn't really job embedded, it becomes a real struggle because teachers are really burnt out right now. And I never want teachers to feel like learning technology is another thing. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to replace something that's already there. And so I've really been trying to push that and push the idea of I'm here to make your job easier. You know, I, I, I love the fact that you mentioned, you know, that technology is a tool to get you to that objective. Right? Yeah. And as, as opposed to saying, here's this brand new program, I want to use it, what can I do with it? It's like, no, no, no. It, it's a tool to get you to where you want to be. I know, um, you know, I share with my teachers a lot, you know, I, I make sure that they have a ton of resources when they're teaching. And a lot of times, you're right, they feel overwhelmed. We, we've got so many things. I said, it's not the things, right? It's 
what do you want? What do you want to get to? Or what are you trying to accomplish right. with your students? And then which of these resources can you use to get you there? I'm not expecting Absolutely. you to use all of them. So I, I, I just think that's so important. And so many times I feel like people feel like they have to collect programs. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to collect programs. And I'll be honest, like everybody was talking about Canva forever and it wasn't approved in my district. I didn't spend time with it. Once it got approved, I was like, oh, I'll dabble with it a little bit. Well, it won me over, but, and it won me over, but it took, I took another tool out of my toolbox because I felt like it replaced its use. But, you know, so there's a tool I talk about in my book who isn't really part of my toolbox because Canva took its place, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I and mean, that's okay because I try to stick to ten tools that I use, and I try not to go higher than that. And yes, there are some amazing tools I'm not using, but I want to make sure that I stick with a core group of tools so that that way my teachers really get comfortable with those tools and can use them in multiple ways. I never want them to feel like there's so many tools they have no idea where to start. I, I absolutely agree. You know, just just yesterday I was tying my shoe at work and. One of my teachers saw me and they're like, did you just do two bunny ears? I was like, yeah, I learned. Why else? Why do I got to bother with anything else? It works. It yeah. gets the job done. Why bother? <laughs> so I, I want to ask, you know, because obviously we, we're talking about all these different programs. We're talking about, you know, technology, whether it's the different devices. Um, and, and obviously during the pandemic, I know one of the things, right, everybody was doing everything for free, right? So the whole yes. part, like, Which once it's over, you're going to love us and stick with us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as things are, are starting to no longer be free and things like that, I, I'm curious, coming from an area, you know, that is, you know, in an urban area, there, there's a lot of poverty. One of the things I hear a lot is, well, we can't afford that, right? We can't afford the devices. We can't afford those programs. We can't, 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 can't. Um, and that's really easy, I think, a lot of times to utilize that as kind of a, as a safety net excuse, right? Well, we can't. Right. So. Right. No, we're going to just continue making packets in the copy machine uh, and hope that it doesn't jam. Um, so I guess my question for you is that in those situations, right, because, yeah, that's a common narrative. Well, we could, just can't do it. What would be something that you would say or maybe a go to to say, well, we have a very limited budget or maybe we're not very familiar with technology, so we're just not going to do it. What would be some nice starting points as we begin that journey? I think it's just really important that you really use that technology to start with to really promote that engagement. And, you know, one of one of the tools that, you know, really early on are, you know, we decided we were going to pay for was Pear Deck. I know Nearpod does a lot of the same things, but, you know, we no longer can have that narrative that we can call on four or five people in the classroom. Every student needs to know that they matter and they need to be able to get feedback. And it is impossible for a teacher to call on 30 children, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yet they can use a tool like Paradeck or Nearpod. And so to me like that, a tool like that, yes, there are other really fantastic tools, but something like that is a great place to start. And it, you know, before the pandemic, I would say maybe a handful of my teachers knew how to do Paradeck. Now I don't have to teach Paradeck to my teachers. They all know how to use it because they could not have survived the pandemic without it. And when we went back in the classroom, some of them were like, well, do I still need it? And I'm like, yes, you do, because you still need to be able to see what your students are doing. You still need to be able to give them feedback and you need to give them though, that message that everybody counts in your room. 
And even if you're in a classroom, you can still use that. And, you know, there's a lot of power in that. And so something like that is, you know, and, you know, maybe that's something that you write into a grant if you don't have the money. I mean, right now, most schools have ESSER funds, which has really kind of alleviated some of that. Um, but, you know, really, to me, something like that is essential. I mean, we have tools like Flipgrid that are free. We don't have to worry about them, but we want to make sure we're giving our kids that engagement. And so as far as I know, there is no free tool. I know Desmos does some of it. There is no free tool that does what those two programs do and the way they do it. Okay. All right. You know, I'm curious, I guess one of the other questions, and, and I feel like I'm just like collecting information so I can go back and talk to my <laughs> staff. Uh, so one of the other things, right? So one of our biggest battles, and I'm sure there are, there are other people out there listening to this is, you know, whether it's the cell phones or the, uh, you know, devices themselves, I think there's a lot of fear because, yes. you know, the, the thought is, yeah, Debbie, what you're saying is great. If my student sits down and, and they do what they're supposed to, that's wonderful. But, you know, I, I'm catching students doing this or they're doing that or, you know, da, da, da. so it's just easier for me to say, you know what? No, no computers in my classroom, no phones in my classroom. You know, again, going back yeah. to my parents. Totally, yeah. <laughs> so what would you say to that? Well, I think that it's really important that we teach our students how to be responsible with digital tools. Like um, Jennifer Casatad talks about in digital leadership, we have to show them how, you know, digital tools can be used responsibly. Right now, we're having a huge debate in my school about YouTube. You know, teachers are saying, I want to ban, I want to, you know, I want to make sure nobody can go on YouTube because it's such a distraction. We need to provide our students those, you know, executive functioning skills and those self-regulation skills and help them learn how to do these things. Taking things away is just going to make them more attractive. It's like, you know, you're dangling it and they're like, oh, I can't get it. I'm going to try to sneak to get it. And so we really, but we, as teachers, we also need to put handles on things so that we know, our students know, well, when I am using this YouTube, it's inside of a slide and I am not clicking into it and going somewhere else. This is why I'm using it. This is why I have a school computer. My school computer is not so I can play a game on it or send my friends messages, or try all these things that, you know, the kid and they're kids, they're curious, they're trying, we have to use these things as learning opportunities, because we're going to send them out into a world that has more technology than we could ever imagine. Right. And if we don't teach them all of those skills and how to real and that digital citizenship piece about how to use these things responsibly, you know, we want them to know that technology is for more than just watching YouTube. Um, I have a teenage, I have four teenagers, actually, no, I have two teenagers and two 20 sums and they spend a lot of time on YouTube and that's great. They're sometimes they're actually learning stuff, but technology is for more than just consumption. We also need to make sure they understand how to use it for, to create content and also to use and to take the things that they learn and learn how to analyze them and critically, you know, you know, look at them and synthesize them because that's, we, we live in a world where you can look almost anything up instantly. It's not about looking things up. It's about how we determine what things are valid and how we use them. Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned that, you know, the, the shift from consuming to creating. Um, because again, I think that that's a lot of what we, we talk about when you view technology as a tool for consumption. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Then maybe you want to limit its usage. 
in your classroom. But when you view it as an avenue for students to create, for them to express, you know, we, we've been talking about differentiation for years, right? Right, so of it, course. As, as a way for me to demonstrate my understanding, right, then it looks completely, completely different. I mean, like you, like even like a tool like a pen, you know, yes, a tool like a pen can help you create something. Yes, if someone wanted to, they could use it inappropriately. We don't tell kids not to use pens or not to use pencils or not to use scissors. These, all of these things, we have to show our students how to use them appropriately. And it's that same idea. And I think that a lot of times teachers aren't sure how to do that. And so because they're not sure how to do that, they're just like, I'm just not going to do that. And I feel like in my role, my job is to help them figure those things out. You know, we're going to try this tool. I know you're nervous about it. You think the kids know more about it than than we do. We're going to try this and we're going to say to them, this is how you use this tool. And we're using this tool for learning. And whenever I show teachers or students how to use a tool as a part of a learning experience, we always talk about its impact. Why do you think we use this today? Because I want them to see down the road, I might give them a choice of what to use. And then they can say, oh, well, I'm going to use this because I want to do that. And, you know, we have to know how to pick those tools out of our toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. I remember using to hollow out those pens and use it for spit wads. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's just so important. I mean, technology is a tool. It is. It and is. so, and, and I say to them sometimes, if you use a tool inappropriately, then you're going to have limits on how that tool is used. But it's not just about it being taken away. It's about what can we do so that that situation doesn't happen again. I absolutely agree. So I'm curious because I, I, I know I'm always amazed on how quickly our time goes here. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait, wait, what? Um, so I, I want to ask. So and I know this wasn't part of the, the original questions, but I'm curious. So assume you have three people standing in front of you, right? One who is brand new, uh, whether it's to teaching, to technology, um, one who's, hey, I, I kind of dabbled in tech. I'm comfortable with it. Kind of, I think, where I am right now. Okay. Uh, and then your third person is like, I, I'm amazing at tech. I use it all the time. Maybe like an Alfonso, right? Like, like, oh, yeah. man, like, you know your stuff. So I'm curious, what would be one thing, right? For that new person, here's something to start off with. Somebody who's comfortable with it. Here's something to go and explore to stretch your limits a little bit. Mm -hmm. And for that person who's like, I'm really comfortable, challenge me. Give me something new, something different that I may not have heard of. So I'm going to go back to those learning objectives again. What do our kids need to know? I really think that it has to start with that. And, you know, I'm not going to have, if a teacher hasn't used technology at all, I'm probably not going to take them to Canva as their first place because there's a lot there and that can be overwhelming. I might start something simple. Um, but like in the elementary school setting, we use Wixie a lot because Wixie allows our students to do a lot, but it also has a lot of, you know, those handles and those guardrails to make sure students are using things safely. But figuring out what are we doing, what are what are the students going to do, and then how that technology can help them. So I don't really feel like it's based on your level of proficiency necessarily. Oh, it's based on what we need our kids to do. And yes, there are some tools that are, I know that there's some teachers who I can have them do something like Canva or Adobe Creative Cloud Express with. And then there are some teachers who I know that's too much. And I want to stick with something that is going to be a little that that isn't going to be as overwhelming, but ultimately it falls on those learning objectives. Okay. I'm not sure if that's the answer you were looking for. <laughs> can, can I give you a learning objective? Sure. So let's just say I'm a teacher, right? Or an educator. 
and I want to be able to communicate with my family, right? Um, so typically, right, when I was in school, I, I would have your newsletter on paper. I'd send that newsletter home, hope that it made it home. And if it didn't make it home, maybe that you read it. So mm-hmm. let's just utilize that kind of as a format. So if I'm a teacher, I'm going to communicate with my parents, kind of those those three areas. If okay. I was brand new, maybe something I could use, kind of that middle ground, and then maybe I'm already creating some fun stuff. It could be a challenge. I mean, I I think a lot of tech tools have gotten so easy. My first thing was Flipgrid. Flipgrid has really revolutionized the world of video. And even a teacher who might be relatively new can create a simple video on Flipgrid and then share that link with their family. Um, then, you know, taking it to that next level, if you have a teacher who's a little bit more comfortable, there's a lot of cool things you can do in Flipgrid. You can screen share. You can... um. You know, you can add, you know, pictures in, you can, you know, put multiple, you know, clips together. So something like that might be more advanced. And then obviously, like maybe going to something like a wee video for that really advanced person. Um, I like to, if I can, try to focus on free tools when I start with teachers, because I want to make sure it's something they have access to. Um, And so Flipgrid tends to be one of those things that, you know, I, the kids are really familiar with it. But I also show the teachers that it's not, it doesn't just have to be about you being in the camera. If you're not comfortable, there's lots of other ways to use it now. It used to be when we first started with Flipgrid, everybody was like, I don't want to be in the camera. Well, you don't even necessarily have to do that anymore. Um, But showing them something like that, to me, that's a really simple video editor. Let's be honest. I mean, how many newsletters do you get? And how do you read them? Most of the things you're going to read, you're going to pay attention to are quick videos. Um, or maybe a podcast, maybe in Flipgrid, you could even record it as a podcast. So I think something simple like that, I I used to write these really long newsletters when I was a classroom teacher. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if I was a classroom teacher, I wouldn't do that anymore. I would either do something with a video or maybe make an infographic where people can get things really quickly because people are on the go and emails come in, you know, so quickly that if it's not quick, people are going to miss out on it. And, you know, I think that we really, that information moves so fast, we have to make sure that we're creating something that's easily digestible to share with our families. All right. I love it. I love the fact that you said we videos like at the other end. So maybe, maybe I was at the other end. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to me, we video is definitely a little bit more complex than Flipgrid. Yeah, no, definitely is. Definitely is. I know my own families, I've stopped, right? I used to do the kind of monthly principal newsletter and I've stopped. And so now I do weekly YouTube videos. And so my kids think it's hilarious. They're like, we found you on YouTube. I said, well, it's not mine. It's like the schools, but like, like, and subscribe. No, that's what I tell them. (laughs) It's just so funny. I mean, like I'm, I'm just in the beginning of my um, TikTok journey. I just joined TikTok and I'm getting ready to, my daughter says that's our spring break project is that she's going to help me make my first video. There you go. Um, but that's really how information moves now. Yeah. I mean, and it's funny because you sit there and you scroll with a TikTok versus scrolling with a Twitter, and it is a different type of engagement. Um, and, you know, this is the stuff our our children, our students are growing up with. We, you know, we need to give them opportunities that are similar to those things. But we also need to make sure we're communicating, you know, with our families in ways that they're familiar with. So it's that balancing act. Yeah, that's no, absolutely true. Yeah, my, my wife had a TikTok. I remember she was scrolling. And I was like, you have a TikTok? And she's like, I'm looking at these chiropractic videos. And I was like, that's like, 
So you're right. So I have a handle on TikTok. Maybe maybe I'll reach out, right? My our daughters could collaborate and teach us because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, my daughter, my daughter says she hasn't made put anything. She just scrolls through, but she's like, you can do this thing, like put your finger down if and like there's these teacher ones and like she was showing me all of this, and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm really good at Twitter. I'm okay on Instagram. I'm going to try something new because I need to model for my students and my teachers that we try things that intimidate us sometimes. Well, I love it. I will go and follow you on TikTok. Don't look, I, I have no videos. So but what, when we when either. we create, when we create, we'll be there. <laughs> Jillian Dubois was the one. She and I decided we were, we're both in the part, same edupreneur group. And so she started. And so she keeps sending me texts asking when I'm going to post. Hey, well, you know and what? I'm Maybe like, if your daughter teaches you, we could do one down in ISTE. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yes. We got an idea there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Debbie, it has been a pleasure connecting with you. I'm so glad we've done this. I cannot wait to Me connect too. with you down in New Orleans at the end of June. Um, but for those of you watching or listening who would love to connect with you, learn to uh, you know, learn a little bit more from you, how can they find you? Where should they look you up? It's pretty easy. I'm Tannenbaum Tech pretty much everywhere. That's my website, TannenbaumTech.com. I'm Tannenbaum Tech on Twitter, Instagram, now TikTok, LinkedIn. Um, I have a Facebook group as well. Um, I try to keep it pretty consistent and that way it's easy to find. Um, but I love connecting with other educators and, you know, learning together. So definitely reach out. And if you haven't gotten a chance to try it, look at my book yet. Yes, go check find that book. out because on Amazon, right? It's on Amazon. Yeah, um, I'm really proud of it, and you know there are some ideas populating in my head, but it's a lot easier to contribute to a book than write a book. That's for sure. That is true. That is true. <laughs> well, thank you again. Um, and so I, I always, always, always just say thank you for everything that you're doing in the world of education. Thank you for being on the show. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And like I said, I, I look forward to our uh, continued collaborations. Me too. This was really fun. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at The CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care. <laughs>